Chapter Fifteen, Part One of the Suffragette: The History of the Woman's Militant Suffrage Movement by E. Sylvia Pankhurst. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fifteen, October, nineteen hundred eight. The trial of the three leaders, Mister Herbert Gladstone and Mister Lloyd George, in the witness box. On the morning of October 14th began the trial both of the three leaders who had been arrested by warrant and the twenty-one women whom they were said to have incited to break the peace. Excited crowds early assembled in Bow Street and besieged the doors of the police court, begging the unyielding custodians for admission. In the dark passageways and lobbies of the court were numbers of women imploring the officials to allow them to pass into the court itself the public enter by a door at the back of the room and here there is a space where visitors may stand this space was now crowded with women pressing closely against the wooden barrier which cut them off from the narrow rows of equally crowded wooden seats where the friends and relatives of the prisoners who could obtain the ear of some kindly officer were allowed to sit in front of these seats is the dock itself a wooden bench some six feet long empty as yet and surrounded by a heavy iron railing on three sides the fourth to be guarded by a policeman when the prisoners arrive in front and at one side of the dock are the benches for the press which that morning contained representatives from all the leading newspapers in front of this again divided by a barrier and on a lower level so that one sees little more than the heads of its occupants was another bench where mr musket the solicitor for the prosecution who had so often appeared against the suffragettes and other minions of the law now sat in front again and placed at right angles to this bench is the witness-box a little wooden pen with a foolish wooden canopy which looks as though it were meant for keeping out the rain on the right opposite the witness-box are two rows of seats each entered by a little wooden door like church pews where counsel and distinguished strangers sit in the well between the witness-box and these seats sit the recording clerks and other officials and opposite to them and facing the whole court is the magistrate's high-backed chair and his table mr curtis bennett the magistrate who was to try the case sat there now handsome and dignified and looking the picture of a high-bred eighteenth-century squire the familiar figures of mrs pankhurst christabel and mrs drummond were soon ushered into the dock and then christabel began by asking the magistrate not to deal with the case in that court but to send it for trial by judge and jury her object being to secure that suffragette cases should no longer be decided by a body of police court officials whom we had every reason to believe were acting under the direct instructions of the government against whom our agitation was directed but should instead be submitted to a body of ordinary citizens she urged that under section seventeen of the summary jurisdiction act of eighteen seventy nine she and her co-defendants were entitled to the option of being tried where they desired and she wished now to state that they desired that the case should go before a jury mr curtis bennett bent his head and smiled saying yes yes but we will go on with the case now she pressed him to at once give an answer to the point which she had raised but he replied that he could not do so until he had heard the case mr musket then rose to prosecute speaking quickly in a low voice and showing considerable irritation he began by complaining that the defendants had failed to obey a summons to appear firstly on monday and secondly on tuesday morning to answer to the charge of having been guilty of conduct likely to provoke a breach of the peace then in the most fastidious manner and with clearly expressed disgust he proceeded to set forth the details of the case 
he explained that on october eighth inspector jarvis had visited the offices of the women's social and political union and had there seen mrs drummond with miss christabel pankhurst miss pankhurst had said what about the thirteenth have you seen our new bills and had produced the handbill which formed the foundation of the present charge it was worded votes for women men and women helped the suffragettes to rush the house of commons on tuesday october thirteenth at seven thirty p m in showing this to inspector jarvis miss pankhurst had said that the words to rush were not in sufficiently large type and that they were to be made much more distinct on sunday october eleventh the defendants had held a meeting in trafalgar square to which mr muscat objected because it had caused an enormous amount of additional labour to be thrown upon the shoulders of the police at this meeting he asserted gravely speeches had been delivered by the defendants inciting those present to carry out the programme of rushing the house of commons you will agree sir said mr muscat that such conduct as that cannot be tolerated in this country finally he asked on behalf of the commissioner of police that the defendants should be ordered to be bound over to keep the peace stout red-faced superintendent wells whom we usually found most friendly and obliging now looking very cross and uncomfortable lumbered into the witness-box after taking the oath he gave evidence in regard to a visit of his own to the offices at clement's inn he said that mrs pankhurst had then shown him a copy of a letter which had been sent by the women's social and political union to mr asquith this document pointed out that at many large demonstrations all over the country resolutions had been carried calling upon the government to adopt the woman's enfranchisement bill and also that at a succession of by-elections the voters had shown unmistakably their desire that the government should deal with the question without further delay it concluded by asking the prime minister to inform the union as to whether the government would carry the bill into law during the autumn session after the superintendent had read the letter mrs pankhurst had told him that if mr asquith returned a satisfactory reply to it nothing would take place on october thirteenth save a great cheer for the government but that if he did not there would be a demonstration and the woman would get into the house of commons i said you cannot get there for the police will not let you unless you come with a cannon the superintendent went on looking very imposing and explained that mrs pankhurst had then stated that no lethal weapons would be used she had also said mr asquith will be responsible if there is any disorder and accident superintendent wells next described the meeting in trafalgar square where he had seen mrs drummond distributing the rush handbills he said that he looked upon her as a very active leader of the suffragettes and that she frequently wore a uniform with the word general or generalissimo on the cap he had told her that she and mrs pankhurst would be prosecuted when questioned by mr muscat as to the happenings of the previous evenings superintendent wells said that traffic had been wholly disorganized in the vicinity of the house of commons for four hours and that for three hours the streets had been in great disorder that a very large body of police indeed had been required to maintain the peace that ten persons had been treated at westminster hospital and that seven or eight constables and sergeants had been more or less injured it was now christabel pankhurst's turn to cross-examine the superintendent and he looked across the dock at her very nervously she first questioned him as to the statement that had been made that she and her companions in the dock had broken their promise to appear at the court either on the monday or tuesday morning and drew from him the admission that he had not received any undertaking in actual words 
she then changed the subject and brightly asked him whether he was in the habit of reading the official organ of the union votes for women to which he replied in the negative you are not aware then she said that mrs pankhurst wrote the following words on october thirteenth in parliament square there will be many thousands of people to see fair play between the women and the government let us keep their support and co-operation by showing them as we have done before with what quiet courage self-restraint and determination women are fighting against tyranny and oppression on the part of a government which has been called the strongest of modern times it is by the exercise of courage and self-restraint and persistent effort that we shall win in this unequal contest there is nothing very inflammatory in those words she urged does it really occur to you that those words were circulated to incite a riot but mr wells shrugged his shoulders and answered gruffly i am not complaining of that article i am complaining of those bills then she asked whether the crowd in trafalgar square was a disorderly one he admitted that it was not but at the question are you aware that any member of the government was there he looked round at the magistrate cautiously and said i do not know that i should answer that you can say yes or no said mr curtis bennett and when the query was repeated the reply came i saw one there was it mr lloyd george said miss pankhurst with a smile and at this there was laughter in court and even the magistrate plainly showed amusement mr wells flushed redder still and remained silent she next questioned the superintendent as to the nature of the speeches in trafalgar square and the exact meaning of the word rush but he frequently took refuge in silence and refused to be drawn it was plain that mr wells was not accustomed to being cross-examined by a prisoner in the dock and that he did not at all like it just as he began to hope that it was nearly over she suddenly changed the subject and asked him whether he had been present when mr john burns had made the famous speech which led to his arrest i was not he answered and she asked are you aware that the words he used at that time were very much more calculated to lead to destruction and damage to property than anything that we have said i am not aware of it said mr wells looking appealingly across to mr musket you are aware however that john burns is a member of the present government and is responsible jointly with his colleagues for the action which has been taken against us yes he answered almost without thinking you are aware of that you are aware that the lawbreaker is now sitting in judgment upon those who have done far less than he did himself she said pressing home her advantage you are aware of that she repeated after a pause but there was no reply next she asked whether the superintendent had heard the trafalgar square speech of mr will thorne m p in which he had advised the people to rush the baker's shops mr wells felt on safer ground now for this did not concern a cabinet minister i did not hear it he ventured to answer but it was reported to me well does it occur to you that his language was far more dangerous to the public peace than the language that we have used i am not complaining of your language he again answered doggedly i am complaining of the bills well the language that was used on the bills he spoke he used the word rush moreover he incited people to riot and violence she urged does it occur to you that his action is more reprehensible than ours it occurs to me said mr wells sulkily that he might be prosecuted the same as you are you are not aware whether proceedings will be taken she asked with an air of pleased interest but mr curtis bennett interposed to say that that question could not be allowed 
then she asked the superintendent whether he knew that mr gladstone had stated in the house of commons that the proceedings against herself and her colleagues had not been instituted by the government but by the police he tried to evade her saying you have kept me so busily engaged that i have not had time to look at the papers this morning but before he left the box he had virtually admitted that in spite of mr gladstone's denial the government was responsible for the prosecution the next witness was our old friend inspector jarvis with whom we had had negotiations in all sorts of matters connected both with our peaceful and militant propaganda ever since our campaign in london had been started he is a tall thin man with a pale thoughtful face and is not at all like the typical police officer as a rule he has the most kindly and courteous manners but to-day he seemed thoroughly ill-tempered and refused to look directly at any of us he was called upon by mr musket to read the notes which he had taken of christabel's speech at the sunday meeting in trafalgar square and he did so in halting and expressionless tones i wish you all to be there on the evening of the thirteenth and i hope that this will be the end of this movement on june thirtieth we succeeded in driving mr asquith underground he is afraid of us and so are the government years ago john bright told the people that it was only by lining the streets from charing cross to westminster that they could impress the government well we are only taking a leaf out of his book we want you to help the women to rush their way into the house of commons you won't get locked up because you have the vote if you are afraid we will take the lead and you will follow us we know we shall win because we are in the right then just as a child at school who does not understand the words he read an extract also from mrs pankhurst's speech on tuesday evening at caxton hall we shall ask those who support the women to come to parliament square there will be a deputation of women who have no right in the house of commons to a seat there such as men have note thirty the government does not know its own mind it changes so but we do know that we want the vote and mean to have it when the people in parliament square but mr musket interrupted he had heard enough he went on to ask if it were not a fact that on monday morning inspector jarvis had himself served a summons upon the defendants to appear in court on that afternoon of the same day and on the inspector assenting he said i want to know about this question as to whether they promised to attend here or not inspector jarvis hesitated well miss christabel he began i saw her alone and she said we are not afraid we shall be there then said mr musket i believe they were served with a summons to appear on the following morning at eleven o'clock yes and as they did not put in an appearance then a warrant was issued yes and you had to wait there for them until they surrendered to you again the inspector assented looking very much aggrieved christabel pankhurst began her cross-examination by closely questioning mr jarvis on this very point and soon drew from him the admission that no definite promise had been made as she was speaking to him his face cleared visibly and he generously owned that he had been mistaken similar evidence from a third inspector closed the case for the prosecution christabel then applied for an adjournment and the magistrate agreed to allow the case to stand over for a week the three prisoners being released on bail for the time being 
as soon as this had been decided mr curtis bennett said that he would deal with the cases of the women who had been arrested in trafalgar square and seven of these were soon ordered to undergo from one to two months imprisonment in default of being bound over for twelve months as each woman was asked if she had anything to say for herself she replied i demand a trial by jury this seemed to annoy mr curtis bennett considerably and he became more and more irate until the fifth woman had spoken then he laughed and said i see this has evidently been arranged beforehand it was unfortunate for the fourth woman that he had not recovered his temper earlier for though a first offender arrested for doing practically nothing she received a sentence of two months imprisonment whilst one month only was served out to others of the same class mrs lee as this was the third time that she had been charged received a sentence of three months thirteen of the suffragettes pleaded that they wished to obtain legal advice and were remanded for a week at the end of which time milder methods obtained for their sentences ranged merely from three weeks to one month next day thursday october fifteenth a summons was issued against mr will thorne m p for inciting the unemployed to rush the baker's shops and when his case came up on the twenty first he expressed the belief that no summons would have been issued against him but for the remarks made by christabel pankhurst during the suffragette trial he declared that in speaking as he had done his object had been to persuade the unemployed not to take part in the women's demonstration in parliament square because he felt sure that they would get into trouble if they did so and urged that his speech had been taken too literally mr curtis bennett however ordered him to be bound over in his own recognizances of two hundred pounds and two sureties of one hundred pounds each to be of good behaviour for twelve months or in default to go to prison for six months mr thorne agreed to be bound over on wednesday october twenty first the trial of the suffragette leaders again came on and whilst the court was just as crowded the press seats were even fuller than before mr curtis bennett seemed more than ever dignified and magisterial every one waited with impatience and presently there was a stir in the court and with much ceremony some of the officers opened the door by which the prisoners usually enter and ushered in a group of gentlemen who seated themselves in the pew-like benches reserved for counsel and distinguished persons then preceded by a stout black-bearded jailer and with three or four police on either side of them the three suffragettes made their way into the dock as soon as they had seated themselves mr musket rose and said in his usual rather peevish and very indistinct tones that the case for the prosecution had been concluded on the previous wednesday after a short preliminary argument as to legal forms between christabel and the magistrate and a pledge that she should be allowed to submit her objections later there was a slight scuffling in those important side benches the pew doors were opened two of the gentlemen who had accompanied him stepped aside and mr lloyd george chancellor of the exchequer came forward and passed across the court into the witness-box seen for the first time he is totally unlike what one has been led to expect instead of the romantic-looking welsh bard with black and very curly hair portrayed by the newspaper cartoons and drawings there stood cooped up in the little witness-box with its useless-looking wooden canopy a plain little man with a pale face a long untidy moustache and hair which though he wears it somewhat long as it is in the pictures has not the least suspicion of a curl but lies limp and scanty and is a dull dingy brown at first he leant his arm on the front of the witness-box and looked across at the three prisoners in the dock 
he regarded christabel pankhurst curiously as well he might for in her fresh white muslin dress whose one note of colour was the broad band of purple white and green stripes around her waist with her soft brown hair uncovered the little silky curls with just a hint of gold in them clustering about her neck and in this dingy place her skin looking even more brilliantly white and those rose-petal cheeks of hers even more exquisitely and vividly flushed with purest pink than usual she was as bright and dainty as a newly opened flower and with all her look of perfect health and vigour appeared so slender and so delicately knit as to have little more of substance in her than a briar rose but she was to triumph over her opponent in the witness-box not by her grace and freshness and by the outer aspect of her vivid glowing personality but by her sparkling wit her biting sarcasm and by the force and depth of her arguments and these went home not merely as they can be set down here in cold dull print but far more truly because they were enhanced by the ever-changing eloquence of gesture voice and facial expression by a lift of the eyebrows a turn of the head a heightening of the lovely rose-colour that flooded sometimes as far as the white throat and as quickly ebbed again a sweep of the slender hand or a turn of that slight virile frame all these because so perfectly they echoed and expressed her thoughts could lend to even the baldest and tritest words a fanciful humour a delicate irony or an inexorable force as she rose to examine mr lloyd george she began quite formally but with a cheerful and pleasant manner asking whether he had been present at the trafalgar square meetings on october eleventh and whether he had seen a copy of the bills which were being distributed yes he replied with just the least suspicion of a smile a young lady gave one to me the moment i arrived it invited me to rush the house of commons how did you interpret the invitation conveyed to you as a member of the audience she asked next with a brisk business-like air what did you think we wanted you to do he replied pompously i really should not like to place an interpretation upon the document i do not think it is quite my function well i am speaking to you as a member of the general public she urged refusing to be put off imagine you were not at the meeting at all but were walking up the strand and someone gave you a copy of this bill and you read it help the suffragettes to rush the house of commons and suppose you forgot you were a member of the government and regarded yourself just as an ordinary person like myself quite unofficial she added smiling and with a little quick shake of her shoulders what would you think you were called upon to do really i should not like to be called upon to undertake so difficult a task as to interpret that document was the tart reply but christabel went on persuasively now this word rush which seems to be at the bottom of it all what does it mean she waited with parted lips and raised eyebrows for a reply it came unwillingly i understood the invitation from mrs pankhurst was to force an entrance to the house of commons no no i want you to keep your mind concentrated on the bill she corrected let us forget what mrs pankhurst said what did the bill say i really forget what the bill said he snapped out sharply she repeated the phrase to him graciously help the suffragettes to rush the house of commons yes that is it he assented and she said i want you to define the word rush i cannot undertake to do that you cannot she asked incredulously no miss pankhurst i cannot well she replied i will suggest some definitions to you i find that in chambers english dictionary one of the meanings of the word is an eager demand now what do you think of that 
i cannot enter into competition with chambers dictionary i am prepared to accept it he said stolidly mr lloyd george was beginning to turn his head away from her and to show every sign of unwillingness to continue answering her imperturbable good-humour made the situation harder for him to bear as max beerbohm in the saturday review said his celtic fire burned very low and the contrast between the buoyancy of the girl and the depression of the statesman was almost painful youth and an ideal on the one hand and on the other middle age and no illusions left over but christabel appeared not to notice his discomfiture urgent pressure of business that is another meaning now if you were asked to help the suffragettes to make an eager demand to the house of commons that they should give votes to women would you feel that we were calling upon you to do an illegal act that is not for me to say here mr curtis bennett interposed the witness is perfectly right this is for me to say on the evidence i have not interfered so far but christabel went on unheedingly and continued gravely reading from her list of definitions there is another sense in which the word rush is used and i think it will be of some interest to you we use it in this connection to rush bills through parliament mr lloyd george smiled in spite of himself yes i think i have some experience of that he said on the rush we are told in another dictionary means in a hurry there is nothing unlawful in being in a hurry mr lloyd george shook himself impatiently and the magistrate again interposed this time with more severity i have already said you must address those remarks to me afterwards but quite impassively she held to her point and with her eyes upon the witness continued did you understand you were asked to go in a hurry to the house of commons to make this eager demand for enfranchisement was that the meaning which the bill conveyed to you in spite of his remonstrances mr curtis bennett was evidently enjoying the scene and his eyes twinkled as he listened to the quickly and pleasantly directed questions and to the slow grudging replies mr george kept glancing at him angrily and again looking severe he said at last miss pankhurst you must take my ruling please at this she changed her tack a little questioning mr lloyd george as to the speeches he had heard in trafalgar square and the demeanour of the crowd and always making her inquiries with a polite air of expectation that valuable information would be forthcoming when mr lloyd george admitted that he had heard some part of miss pankhurst's speech christabel gravely inquired whether her mother had threatened violence to any member of the government she did not invite the audience to attack you in any way she asked then gradually through his fear of being made to appear ridiculous she brought him to admit that he had thought that if the public responded to the invitation to rush the house of commons the consequences would not be formidable and that there had been no suggestion either that public or private property should be damaged or that any personal violence should be done then she suddenly asked there were no words used so likely to incite to violence as the advice you gave at swansea that the woman should be ruthlessly flung out of your meeting this was unexpected mr lloyd george frowned and remained silent mr musket stood up and appealed to the magistrate who interposed as was expected of him this is quite irrelevant that was a private meeting and not of the same character he said reprovingly christabel shook her head it was a public meeting she insisted the magistrate waved his hand well private in a sense they are private nowadays that is quite true 
she said pointedly and obviously referring to the fact that ticket meetings only were now addressed by cabinet ministers all women with a few selected exceptions being rigidly excluded then she went on to question mr lloyd george as to the reason for which the rush had been planned but he obstinately refused to answer turning to the events during the so-called rush on october thirteenth she elicited the fact that mr lloyd george had taken his little six-year-old daughter with him to watch the scene she was very amused he said with a malicious air you thought it was quite safe for a child of those tender years to be amongst the crowd asked christabel and this time it was her turn to be a little severe i was not amongst the crowd he snapped and later as if anxious to justify himself added you see i only brought her from downing street to the house and i think that was clear the prosecution asserts that a serious breach of the peace took place was her next question do you agree with that statement the magistrate interrupted the chancellor of the exchequer would have nothing to do with that he said i believe you are a lawyer with a quick change of front she asked turning politely to mr lloyd george well i hope i am he answered with a surly air don't you think the offence alleged against us would be more properly described as unlawful assembly there again i was not put in the witness-box to oppress an opinion of that sort he objected and the magistrate again supported him she made another attempt you have seen the form of summons against us but he protested that he had not and did not know with what offence the prisoners were charged she explained to him the form of the summons and explained that owing to this the defendants were denied the right of trial by jury he merely replied i take it from you miss pankhurst but i do not know an awkward question for mr lloyd george was do you think that coercion is the right way of dealing with political disorders he remained silent and the magistrate tried to help him out saying it is not for the witness to express an opinion christabel looked full at mr lloyd george asking you refuse to answer i do not refuse to answer he said not very honestly but i must obey the decision of the bench that i cannot express an opinion about things in the witness-box am i to understand that an answer must not be given to that she appealed to the magistrate he replied no not even if the witness would like to do it no he said but she tried again well is it likely to be a successful way of dealing with political disturbances but the magistrate said that again is not admissible but for these restrictions your worship she broke out with some heat but he waved her aside and she understood that he was implacable so she turned cheerfully to the witness and said can you tell me whether any interference with public order took place in connection with previous movements for franchise reform i should have thought that was an historical fact miss pankhurst he replied again the magistrate interposed to save him that is cross-examination the witness cannot go into that in a sense he is my witness she said but though mr curtis bennett smiled he replied in every sense at present End of chapter 15, part 1